So, what is this? Second weekend of March, right? Second, is it second weekend of March? Second weekend of March. So that puts us like uh, 10 weeks into this year. Is that right? Something around there, 10, 11 weeks into the year? For the last 10 or 11 weeks, we've really been working hard to love God, to drive a deeper, um, passionate connection with God. We've been, we've been working through lots of stuff, and um, I think it's been really cool so far. And as I prayed through um, how to get this year rolling, um, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart about learning to love Him more was that we, we really needed to drive that deeper relationship, that deeper connection. And I started thinking about passages and praying for uh, what kind of messages God wanted me to preach. And he put on my heart the 23rd Psalm. Now, I think it, it kind of came naturally out of this last series that we were in, you know, when I, when I preached out of uh, John where Jesus gave Peter the instructions to feed and care for his sheep. As I prepared for that message, that whole thing about the sheep was rolling around in my head. And, and the 23rd Psalm, which is one of the most uh, probably widely known, uh, frequently quoted passages of Scripture, deals with the sheep and the shepherd. And, and so I just had that in my mind, and I'm really excited to kick off our series, our teaching series from the 23rd Psalm this morning. The 23rd Psalm, if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles there right now, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, Psalm 23. And again, as I said, it's probably one of the most beloved, most quoted um, passages of Scripture. And I think that's true because the 23rd Psalm is a, is a very encouraging passage of Scripture. There's a lot of comfort in it. It's a very uplifting part of the Bible. And because of that, you know, I think it's been added to lots of books and movies and it's been used rightly and wrongly, quoted and applied rightly and wrongly for a long, long time. You're right? I mean, for a couple of thousand years probably, this passage of Scripture has been applied by mankind to our lives, sometimes in a right way and probably sometimes in a wrong way because it is so widely known. But we're going to find out more about this passage. We're going to find out more about it starting right now. Like, to start with, who wrote it? The author of the 23rd Psalm is David. Now, this is the, the same David that many of us know his life story. This is the David who um, was overlooked when the prophet came to his family to anoint a king. They lined up all of the brothers. The prophet said, no, 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 and no. Is there another one? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's David, the youngest, the, the least of these. David, he's, he's out tending the sheep. He's out taking care of the sheep, being a shepherd. And so, David is the author of this 23rd Psalm. He wrote it. David, the shepherd boy. David, who was overlooked. David, who killed Goliath, right? Little David who killed Goliath. David who then had to run and hide from jealous and crazy King Saul. David. The shepherd king. 
That's what the Bible called him. That's what the people called him. The shepherd king, this, this boy who grew to be a man, this guy from humble beginnings, this, this blue-collar fella who became the king, and the people called him the shepherd king. This is the same David that God, in Acts chapter 13, 22, said, this is a man who is after my own heart. Ooh. Would you like that to be your epitaph? I mean, wouldn't you like that to be what's etched on your headstone when your time on this earth is through? Inscribed maybe by the hand of God like he did with the Ten Commandments on the stones, right? This is a man or a woman after my own heart, God. Ooh. Gets me kind of jazzed. I, I, I like the sound of that. That is high praise from the highest place, right? A man after my own heart. This David is a man after God's own heart. And so today I want to see if we can learn a little bit from David about how to be more like David. Because if you, like me, would like that to be your epitaph, how you would like to be remembered for the way that you lived your life, for the heart that you expressed, for your time on this earth, for God to say about you, this was a person after my own heart. Let's see what David did. Let's see what his heart was. Let's see how he poured himself out into words as he penned the 23rd Psalm. Let's go ahead and read the 23rd Psalm. I think that's a great place to start, don't you? If we're going to do all of this, let's, let's just go ahead and start. Let's read this short little passage. It's only six verses long. The 23rd Psalm. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's no wonder that's one of the most loved, most appreciated, most quoted passages of Scripture. It puts a smile on my face every time I read it. I hope it does the same for you. Again, it's just such an encouraging passage. There's so much going on. And because there's so much going on, we're going to be in this passage, these six verses, for five or six weeks. And today, we're not going to go past verse 1. After that full reading, the rest of the time today, we're not going to get past verse 1 of the 23rd Psalm. Because there's so much going on here, I think we can stop at verse 1 today, dive into it, find out what's going on there, and it will pave the way for us to understand better the next five verses. Verse 1. I look at verse 1, and the first thing that pops out to me is that David, who was a shepherd, remember they called him the shepherd king, David, who was a shepherd, wrote this psalm not from the point of view or perspective of the shepherd, but he wrote from the point of view of the sheep. 
Isn't that interesting? The shepherd wrote this psalm from the point of view of one of the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I am under the care of the Lord. He is my owner, my keeper. The Lord is my shepherd. I think it's really, really cool that the shepherd wrote from the perspective of the sheep. I thought it was even cooler when I realized as I read this and studied this passage that Jesus was foreshadowed in David's writing. Jesus himself said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, David penned these words a long, long time before Jesus spoke those. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So what does all that mean? What does it mean that Jesus, our Lord, is the good shepherd? What does it mean that we are one of the sheep? Good questions. And frankly, as we got into all of this sheep stuff, I felt kind of ill-qualified to talk about it, you know, because I don't know a lot about sheep. I grew up in Texas. Farms and ranches in Texas are primarily what? Cattle, right? We're cattle farmers. We're cattle ranchers in Texas. I know a little bit about cattle because I've grown up going out into the country and being on friends, farms and ranches, and I, I, I've... Uh, Trina's dad, her, my, my father-in-law, ranches cattle in Colorado. He's got a 1,600-acre a, a ranch up there, a couple hundred head of cattle sometimes, and, and her grandfather. On the, I mean, I've been around cattle ranching. I have one friend in far west Texas, has a, a big ranch out there, and they, they ranch sheep. And the only time I'm ever out there is during hunting season. And, and so the only thing I know about sheep is don't shoot those. That's bad. That's going to cost you something and probably cost you an invitation next year to come back to this ranch. So I don't shoot the things that look like Q-tips on, on feet, right, when I'm out there hunting. That's what I know about sheep. And so I started researching a little bit. I started looking for some good resources about, about sheep and shepherds. I mean, I've got some awesome stuff here in the Bible, and, I, and I'm all in. I'm studying that. But what I found was there's a book out there. There's a book that was written, well, I... For some of y'all, um, not so far back maybe, for me it was before my time. I'm, I'm, I'm a young man, right? I'm 41 next month. It was written in 1970, three years before I was born. I'm still young. Um, yeah, really, that's, I'm claiming that. I'm still young. 41's not old, right? Some of y'all can nod with me. Some of y'all looked at me like, dude, old, can't relate. This book written by a man named Philip Keller is entitled A Shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. I was like, ooh, I dig the title. I hope the guy that wrote it really is a shepherd. And so I started reading, and I discovered that Mr. Keller is indeed a shepherd and a Christ follower. He grew up in Africa as the son of missionary parents. And the part of Africa where his parents had their ministry was a part of Africa where Sheep herding is a big part of the economy. It's a part of the way the local people provide for themselves. And so he grew up in sheep country, 
as a follower of Jesus, and I think that gives him a very unique perspective on the 23rd Psalm, but wait, there's more. As a young man, Mr. Keller chose to make his living in that sheep ranching business. He bought his first herd, his first group of sheep, and and became a shepherd. And that was how he made his living for many, many years. And so later in life, he writes this book about the 23rd Psalm from the perspective of a shepherd. He's like, that's the resource I need to read. So I got it on audiobook. Dude, that was awesome. I've been listening to that rascal, driving up and down the road, sitting at my desk, whatever, for like six or eight weeks now. And so a lot of what you're going to hear today and in the weeks to come, my two real big references for this entire series are Mr. Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, and this book, The Bible. Those are really the two primary resources that I've used. And so I hope that some of you might be inspired to go pick up that book or buy it on audiobook or whatever, and y'all might get ahead of me, and some of you might correct me out in the atrium one day about something I misquoted or something. We'll see how that goes. But I always want you guys to have great resources so to, to know what I'm, where I'm coming from and, and where you can get more information. So that is, uh, that's our resource for today. So here we go. Mr. Keller starts his book by helping the reader understand the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And I thought that was a great place for us to start today. To help all of us understand the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Because the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is very much a parallel to the relationship between God and mankind. Between God and you. And me. In fact, in the Bible, the two most common analogies for the relationship between God and man are first, that of a parent with his children, and second, a shepherd and his sheep. The parent-child relationship or the shepherd-sheep relationship. So let's find out today a little bit more about this shepherd-sheep relationship. And the first thing that we need to know about the shepherd-sheep relationship is that Sheep need a shepherd. If you're familiar with cattle ranching, cattle are relatively self-sufficient. If you've been around a cattle operation, cattle ranch, I have a friend whose grandfather hobby ranched. They lived two hours away from the ranch, and they went out to the ranch on weekends to check on the cows. All week long, the cows were cool. They really didn't need them to be out there to work with them or lead them or feed them or whatever. They were able to graze. They were able to find water. They were able to find shelter. They're able to defend themselves from coyotes and wolves and predators and stuff like that. Sheep are not like that. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. They need the shepherd to provide for them things that they cannot provide for themselves. Things like proper care. Things like leadership. Things like protection and provision. Sheep do not just intuitively, instinctively take care of those things on their own in the best way. Like they can find water, but they're as likely to drink out of a mud hole that's polluted with the leavings of the other sheep in the herd as they are to drink from clear, clean water. The shepherd needs to lead them 
in such a way that they make the they, they get the best care. And so sheep need the shepherd. They need the care, the leadership, the provision, and the protection. David would have been keenly aware of this when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. Remember, David is a shepherd and most likely, at very least, a second-generation shepherd because he was out taking care of his dad's sheep when he was a boy, right? We know that. And so he's at least a second-generation shepherd and most likely multiple generations of sheep herding in his family. He would have been keenly aware of the need that the sheep have for their shepherd. And with that understanding, David emphatically states, the Lord is my shepherd. See, with that understanding that the parallel between himself and God, between the sheep and the shepherd, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, those sheep who need that shepherd so badly, remember, the, their lot in life, their very existence, the quality of their life is really very much dependent upon the shepherd. And David states emphatically, clearly, I would even say with pride or with swagger, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is this Lord that David is so proud so excited to come under his ownership. Who is it that David was willing? This is a, a man who is anointed to be the king of Israel. Who is it that he would be so excited to come under his ownership? The Lord is my shepherd. If you were here back in November, December, we did a series called What's in a Name. Anybody remember that series, What's in a Name? We opened up our Bibles to discover um, the different names used for God throughout the pages of Scripture. And in those names, we were able to find out a lot about the nature and the character of God. And we were able to draw closer to Him as we understood Him better. And the first week of that series, What's in a Name, we found the very first name that God ever gave mankind to call Him. Some of you are nodding your heads. I saw a couple of you mouth the name. Remember, it was a name that the ancient Hebrews wouldn't even pronounce. They took all the vowels out of it, so you couldn't even write it in its entirety. The best that we understand it today is Yahweh, or I am, or I am that I am. That is what God told Moses to call him when he went to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He said, tell them, I am sent you. Whew, I still get kind of chills when I hear that name, because that is an all-encompassing name, Yahweh, I am. It tells us a lot about who this God is, that David was willing to come under his authority, under his ownership, to submit himself as the king to, I am, Yahweh, the one true God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Almighty. He is the all-knowing, omnipresent, eternal, 
creator and king of the heavens and the earth and everything in them. I am that I am is my shepherd. Ooh, I dig it. The Lord is my shepherd. I get it. That's why David is so excited because he knows that I am created him. That I am has an interest in him. That the God of heaven and earth, the eternal one, loves him, cares for him, provides for him, protects him, wants to have a relationship with him, to know him intimately and to be known by him intimately. The Lord is my shepherd. Good stuff. You know what? The Lord created you too. He created you too and he breathed life into you. And he knew you before he even laid the foundations of the earth. And he had a plan and a purpose for you from the very beginning. And he brought you into this life with specific intent. And part of that specific intent was that he would be in a relationship with you. That he would be your shepherd. That he would be your provider. He would be your strength. He would be your leader. That he would be your protector. And that in him, you would have everything that you would need to live a successful and a blessed and a peace-filled life. That is his intent for you and for me. He wants to have a relationship with you. The God of the universe wants to know you intimately and personally. So much so that he even knows the number of hairs on your head. That's how much he's interested in you. So much so that he invites you into his flock, into his fold to come and be under the ownership and the leadership and the protection and the provision of the good shepherd. The good shepherd, Jesus, invites you to know him. And not because that somehow fulfills him. Not because he needs to have one more sheep in his flock in order to feel fulfilled or successful. We might think in those terms, we, we, we think in those terms here on earth in this life because we operate like that, frankly. That's just kind of part of the human condition, right? Especially in Texas where everything is bigger. If I can increase my flock by one, I'm no longer all hat and no cattle, right? Or no sheep. I, I, I'm a real rancher. Jesus doesn't work like that. The Lord doesn't work like that. The good shepherd doesn't think like that. The good shepherd doesn't want you in his flock for his benefit or for his fulfillment. The good shepherd wants you in his flock because the good shepherd knows something about you that you may not have realized about yourself yet. What he knows is this. You need him. Like a sheep needs a shepherd, you need the good shepherd. 
You need him to be fulfilled. He doesn't need you for his fulfillment. You need him for your fulfillment. And he loves you enough to put himself out there like that, to offer that relationship with you. And we're going to find in the coming weeks that being a shepherd is a lot of work. It ain't easy. He's not committing to something minor. He's committing to something major when he invites you into the sheep fold to be fulfilled. Check out the second half of John chapter 10, verse 11. I read the first half a few moments ago. The first half, I am the good shepherd. The second half tells you about the commitment that the shepherd makes. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd, Jesus says, lays down his life for the sheep. I misquoted it the first time. I said for his sheep. It's not for his sheep. It's for the sheep. And Jesus did exactly that. He laid down his life on the cross some 2,000 years ago for the sheep. We know that David lived this kind of life as a shepherd too. David, when he was facing Goliath, said that he wasn't afraid of the, the giant because he had taken out lions and bears in the protection of his flock, in the protection of his sheep. The shepherd will lay down his life. He will put himself on the line all the way out there for the sheep. Jesus put himself all the way out there for the sheep. Why do I keep emphasizing the instead of his? Because here's the thing. David probably, I'm just going to read between the lines a little bit, going to try to insert myself into his culture as much as I can. David probably would not have put his life on the line for the sheep. He probably wouldn't have fought lions and bears for the sheep. He would have fought him, I am certain, for his sheep, for his flock, for his father's flock, which he had been given charge of. He would have done that for his sheep. Jesus did it for the sheep. The difference, you and I in the role of sheep, and Jesus in the role of shepherd, we do not become his sheep until we take on his brand, his mark. We don't become his sheep until we submit ourselves to him as our shepherd. And yet he died on the cross for us while we were yet lost sheep, sinners. The good shepherd lays himself down for the sheep. And because he laid himself down for the sheep, we have the opportunity to become his sheep. No wonder. No stinking wonder. David was so proud to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm his. I come under him, under his ownership. And I'm glad 
The Bible says we were bought at a price. You think about what that price was, that's a high, high price. No sheep auction has ever seen a sheep auctioned off at that rate. You know what? All of this information made David excited, made David proud. You know what? It should do the same for us. It should do the same thing to you. It should make you want to be one of the Lord's sheep. It should make you want to come out of the wilderness, out of your wild ways, away from being a feral sheep. A feral animal is a domestic animal that has reverted back to the wild, right? Most of us are or have been feral sheep, right? We went our own way, lived life on our own terms. And some of you may still be there today, living life on your terms, being your own shepherd, drinking out of any puddle you choose, grazing off any grass that you choose, jumping fences and living life on the wild side, out there amongst all the predators. But we should, with this newfound information here from the 23rd Psalm, from really just the first verse of the 23rd Psalm, I think we should all desire to be able to say, like David said, the Lord is my shepherd, too. The Lord is my shepherd, too. I'm one of the flock. I carry his mark. I bear his brand. I follow wherever he leads. I do whatever he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I willingly submit myself to his ownership. Sadly, many cannot say that today, and many will not say that in their lifetimes. Many will choose to stay away from the good shepherd. They will choose to reject his offer to come into the flock, to come under his care, to come under his protection and his provision, to reject his offer of a relationship, to love you, to love them. They'll choose to reject that because they're afraid. They have fear that if they submit themselves to the ownership of the Good Shepherd, that they have really entered into a relationship they can't live with. They're afraid to find out that the Good Shepherd might be oppressive or unfun, uncool. That they might have to give up things they didn't want to give up and take on things they didn't want to take on. They're afraid that the good shepherd might not be so good after all. You know what fear is? You won't find this in the Bible. This is free. This is just me rambling now. You know what fear is? F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. We think these things because somewhere along the way, somebody's probably told us these things. It may have been a person. could have been a movie or a song. It might have just been the handiwork of the enemy, the devil. Because 
There's nobody who would like to disrupt your life more than him. There's nobody who would like to mess up God's plan for you more than him. And so if he can get you to buy the lie that the good shepherd is this overbearing, unfun, tyrannical owner, leader, Lord, then you'll reject him and just stay out on your own and take your chances out in the wild. And you'll never know the pride or never know the peace of being able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I belong to the Most High God. Instead, you'll choose some subpar substitute shepherd or you'll choose to go your own way and try to be your own shepherd and do what I said earlier kind of live at the whim and fancy whatever enters your mind to drink here eat there have a relationship with this person or that person just do life on my own terms either one of those choices is to reject the good shepherd it's to reject his provision and his protection and it leads to certain suffering and it leads to certain death. And I'm not talking just a physical death. I'm talking a spiritual death, eternal separation from the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Because remember, we're the sheep. He's the good shepherd. One of the things about sheep is they need a shepherd. Sheep are unable to protect themselves. They have no natural defense that serves them in, in domestication. Wild sheep, truly wild sheep that have never been domesticated, they live in places that most predators can't get to. High, high, high up on mountains in rugged, rugged country in bad places. And they eke out a subsistence living there because they have no natural defenses except to go places where very few critters are willing to go. Right? But domestic sheep, sheep that live out on the plains of the ruggedness of reality like we do, no defense against the predators, against the bears and the lions and the wolves that are hunting them. Our predator, I said a moment ago, is the devil, Satan, Lucifer, our mortal enemy. He is our enemy. And the Bible says that he is a lion who is stalking about, looking for prey. In, in John, it says that he comes to steal and kill and destroy us. To steal God's purpose from you, to kill you physically, absolutely if he can, spiritually, absolutely his top priority, and to destroy your life, to destroy your peace, to destroy all aspects of what you would need or want. But Jesus says, the good shepherd says, he comes that we may have life and have it to the fullest. That we may have life, rich, full, blessed life. With those two options, which one will you choose? Go your own way? Pick some subpar substitute? 
shepherd? Or submit yourself to the good shepherd and have that good life, that full life? That's what David's talking about in the second sentence of the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the second sentence, I shall not want. I shall not want. In some translations it says, I'll need for nothing. I have no needs. The Lord provides, the good shepherd provides everything for me. Now, let me caution you about that verse. Some people misunderstand that verse. Some people think that verse says something that it doesn't really say. What he's saying here is I will never want for provision. I will never want for protection. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. His sheep don't want for his provision. They will have everything they need to live life. Now they may have just what they need to live life. There's a difference. We tend to think we need a lot more than we do in this country, in this culture, and frankly in many countries and cultures around the world. We live lives well beyond our needs. We live way out into the realm of wants and wishes. And this verse does not say that you will have every want and wish fulfilled. But it says that you will not be in need. You will not have to um, want for the provision of your life, the things that you need in this life. It does not promise any more than that. As an example of that, let me, let me put out David. Let me throw out David for you. David, I told you earlier, after he killed Goliath, Saul got jealous, right? Y'all remember this? Saul got jealous, and David had to run and hide. Saul literally tried to impale him with a spear right there in his own palace, in Saul's own palace. And David had to go on the run, and he suffered for years on the run, hiding in caves. He had to pretend like he was crazy, like drool running down his face, acting like he was literally insane to hide in another king's court, in another king's kingdom. He, he had to eat stolen food. He was provided for, but I would say that he suffered in that provision. His life was not easy. New Testament, how about, how about John the Baptist? Think about John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin the one who was sent before Jesus to prepare the way, the Bible says. And John the Baptist lived in a cave. He wore camel's hair clothing, which I'm guessing was just itchy and hot. It just sounds like it. I don't know. And he ate wild locusts and honey. That was his diet. It sounds almost like a homeless person in our culture, right? doesn't sound like an easy existence. It wasn't a normal existence back then. Culture looked at him and like, what's up with that dude? And part of that is what attracted them to him. Part of that is what repelled some other people from him. He suffered. And if you don't think that life was suffering, his death was certainly not anything any of us would want as our end. He was beheaded for his faith. 
I shall not want is starting to take on a whole new meaning for me. How about Jesus, the good shepherd? I think Jesus suffered. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he was under such stress that he literally sweated drops of blood. I think that qualifies as suffering. It also says that Jesus in his lifetime experienced temptation from Satan himself. I'm not sure Satan has ever shown up and tempted me himself. He's not like God. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. And he has minions, he, you know, not the little yellow ones in the cartoon. Those are funny guys. His are a little scarier. They're demons. And, like, they go out and do his bidding. And I'm sure he shows up and, and, and attacks somebody somewhere sometimes. But I'm not sure I've ever had a temptation from Satan himself personally. I, I would qualify that as suffering if that happened. Jesus dealt with that. On the day that he was crucified, the night after he sweated the drops of blood, he was beaten mercilessly and made fun of. And that doesn't sound terrible until you're beaten mercilessly and nailed to a cross with a crown of thorns on your head and your lifeblood is literally running out of you. Then somebody making fun of you takes on a whole new level of suffering. He suffered for you and me on the cross and that's where he gave his life. So this... I shall not want certainly does not mean that life is going to be easy as a follower of Jesus. It does not mean that if I just submit myself to him and come into the pen, if I just pray a little prayer, then my life will be perfect and all of the bad stuff will go away and I will live nothing but good stuff for the rest of my days. If you have ever thought that about being a Christian, I hope today we have debunked that myth. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want doesn't mean that. What it means, I think, the Apostle Paul summed up best in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to flip over there and read this passage. Philippians 4, 11 and 12, Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, tells them, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Ooh, I like that. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. Paul has been poor. He has been hungry. And he says, I know what it is to have plenty. He has been wealthy and well fed. I've learned that the secret of being or I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, I can do verse 13. Here's the secret that he's learned. I can do all of this through him, the good shepherd. Jesus, who gives me strength. That's what it means that I shall not want. It means that my heart and my head and my will gets aligned with Jesus' will for my life. And whatever sufferings I go through, I have the capacity, the ability, the opportunity to experience joy even in the suffering. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, James says. Joy even in the trials. Joy even in the suffering. Joy even when you're arrested, when you're shipwrecked, when you're beheaded, when you're running from a crazy king. Joy when you are beaten mercilessly and nailed to a cross. Joy because the Lord is my shepherd. 
I'm under his protection and his provision, and nothing can happen to me that he doesn't allow. And whatever he allows is for my benefit. Whoo! That's good stuff. Hey, that'll preach. I don't know if y'all knew that. That'll preach. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If all of this that we've talked about today is attractive to you, if it makes sense to you, if it sounds like something that you want or that you realize now that you need, then let me invite you into the fold, into the family of God, into the sheep pen of the good shepherd. And really, it's not my invitation. Jesus already invited you. I'm just echoing what he already said. I'm just forwarding the message to make sure that you received it and understood it. He's asking you to come into his fold, into his sheep pen, under his protection, under his provision. He's inviting you into his family, into his church. I don't just mean Elevation Church. I mean his church, all of the believers for all time in all places in the world. But also here in Elevation Church, we invite you into his church. It's a good sheep pen. It's a pretty good group here. The shepherd's a little shaky, this one. The good shepherd's got it, right? But the sheep are cool. We got a great fold, a great family here. And God is inviting you in. And he asks you if you would take on his brand, his mark. Just like we brand cattle in Texas. They mark sheep wherever. In biblical times, they used a knife and they notched their ears in different patterns. And that pattern of notching on the ear indicated whose sheep it was. Jesus says his mark is is the cross. He says that his followers must take it up daily and follow him. Will you bear his mark? That means you've got to submit yourself to his authority, his control, his provision, his protection, his leadership. Will you submit to Christ? Will you follow the good shepherd? Will you live that blessed life? Again, not an easy life, not a lazy life, but a challenging, humbling, but peaceful, contented life. Now, on this earth, and also after this life ends, an eternity in heaven with him. If that's what you want, if all that makes sense, and you're ready to say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I'm ready to not want then today is an opportunity for you. Today is your opportunity to take on the mark of Jesus, to pick up his cross, to submit yourself, to follow him daily. And here's how this works. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me. And if you want to make that 
faith commitment to follow Jesus, to enter into the sheep pen today, you're going to pray with, pray your own words. Pray with me, pray like me, maybe is a better way. But the prayer is a simple prayer. And, and the words aren't what's magic, it's what's in your heart. God knows, God knows your heart. It's, it's, a, it's a simple prayer today. It's a prayer, number one, of confession, that you are a wild sheep or a feral sheep, that you're living your own way or you're living under kind of a reckless, subpar, substitute shepherd. And, and, and you know that that's not working in your life. And you want that, that, that real life that Jesus has. So number one, it's, it's confessing that you're, you're going your own way and that you know you need a shepherd under whose protection and provision you can rest. You need someone to make you right. Okay? It's number one, it's a prayer of confession. Number two, it's, it's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of faith that you, to the best of your ability right now, with the information that you had, you believe that Jesus is the good shepherd. You believe that he is the good shepherd. That he really did lay down his life for you. And the beauty is when he laid down his life for you three days later, he rose for you also that you might have that full life as he has the resurrected life. You can have the resurrection in you as he comes and takes up residence in your heart and leads you as his follower, as his sheep. So it's a prayer of faith that he is who he says he is, that he does what he says he will do. Prayer of confession that you need that, that faith that he is that. It's that simple. But again, it's about your heart, not the words that you say. And then finally, it's a prayer of submission. It's a prayer of giving up your wild ways and letting his protection, his peace, his salvation replace that and redeem you as his follower. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the insight that you have given us through your word. Thank you for the life of David, the shepherd king, who wrote those words at your direction. And thank you, Lord, that you are here today with us, opening our hearts, opening our minds to receive that word, to be led by you. Father, there may be some this morning who are sitting here, and they know they're lost sheep. They know they're wild sheep. They know they're under the care of a subpar shepherd, and they're ready today to make a faith commitment to follow you, the good shepherd, to follow you, Jesus, to let you be their Savior. And so if that's you this morning, right now, I'm going to ask that you pray with me, pray like me, this prayer. God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm a lost sheep. And I know that I need the good shepherd, Jesus, to save me to make me right. And so, in faith, I believe, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd. I can't prove it, but I just kind of know it in my heart. I believe it in my heart. And I want to receive 
what you have offered to me. Inclusion in your family. Inclusion in your flock, in your sheep pen. Father, I want to come under the protection and the provision and the care. And I want to come into a relationship with you. So I submit myself. I give up my ways. I give up the throne of my life. And I ask you, the good shepherd, to lead me, to be the king of my life. Come and live inside my heart. And live this life through me. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you right now, while everybody still has their eyes closed, their heads bowed, I want you to just lift your hand so that I'll know and I can follow up with you and give you some information on next steps and what does it mean and give you some congratulations about the best decision you've ever made in your life. I saw two hands go up this morning. I acknowledge that. Is there anybody else this morning who's just on the brink of making that faith commitment to follow the Good Shepherd? Now's your chance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you have done today, for the work that you did 2,000 years ago, and for the work that you have yet to do in us and through us, your flock, your sheep pen, your church. We love you. We give you praise for who you are. Amen.